Good to see my brother Richard Robnett. As I said earlier, it's the shortest I've seen his hair in 30 years. Um, look good, brother. Good to see you. Good to see. Good to see all of you. Good to see all of you. All right, let's um, let's get into the message, okay? All right. Let's 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 let's. If you're so inclined, would you pray this with me as we prepare our hearts to receive the word? Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And this morning's message, the heart of worship, Romans 12. Essentially, what we're doing is we're beginning with Romans 12, 1, and we'll, in a certain kind of way, find ourselves doing a pretty thorough embrace of the whole chapter, so that's why the text is Romans 12. But we begin with verse 1, and the Apostle Paul writes these words in Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. This is from the New Living Translation. He writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, the immediate context in which we find this verse uh, is this beautiful doxology that Paul has written at the end of Romans 11, and he intones this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments judgments and his paths beyond finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. It's Paul's doxology at the end of of chapter 11. And it's as though Paul breaks into this outburst of adoration and worship for for God's unsearchable, unsearchable wisdom. And after spending so much time in Romans up to that point discussing doctrine, it seems as though the apostle is overcome and overwhelmed by the splendor of God's glory. And it's in this context that we read Romans 12.1 because really this is an awkward place for a chapter division. As you see in the NLT, it begins with the words and so or the idea of therefore. And so it is a continuation of the thoughts that have been laid down prior to this verse. And so here Paul speaks of God's expectations of us in relationship to his grace and his mercy In other words, what do we do by way of reciprocation when we consider all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ? And it leads to ultimately the notion of worship because he says to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you, a living and holy sacrifice. And he says the kind that he will find acceptable. And and in in the NLT, it says this is truly the way to worship him. King James, NIV says, this is your spiritual act of worship. What he's saying in essence is this, that in light of all that God has done through Jesus Christ, in light of the unsearchable riches of his glory, in light of the depth of his wisdom that is beyond human comprehension, this is what you do. You give your entire self to him. You worship God. You live a life of worship. And we talk about worship 
And in the church in America and probably around the world, but particularly evangelical and, and, and Bible-believing Christians today, there's a lot of talk about worship. I've mentioned the fact that uh, church uh, thinkers talk about what's called the worship wars because culturally over the last 20, 25 years, there's been a lot of upheaval because many of you know that 20, 30 years ago, you were singing hymns in church and there was a, a lady on the organ and a guy on the piano and a, maybe a conductor or maybe a choir. It was maybe, Many of us came from more traditional settings. Some of us still may be in liturgical or traditional settings. And then we saw the emergence of, of praise choruses and then the emergence of the praise teams and the worship teams. And then we, we've seen all of this, this, this idea of worship leaders. And now that's like a big paid position in churches. The worship leader is, 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 is an important person who coordinates the worship team and the worship band and all the technology and all the things that go along. And we talk about worship and praise and praise and worship and, and, and all of those things. And now in a lot of the churches in America, worship leaders are young guys in their 20s, hipsters with skinny jeans and chin beards and uh, guitars. And there's this crazy thing even with, with there's, there's this leaning towards more of a guitar rock and roll uh, format that a lot of churches go to so they get rid of it. I mean, us keyboard guys are, are, are being pushed out sometimes, not here. <laughs> uh, and we love guitar, but I'm talking about guitar-driven. You, I don't know if you'd want three guitars up here on Sunday, and that's all. Uh, three chords, right? You know, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Worship, but everybody's talking about it. There's all kinds of articles on it. There's all kinds of websites about it. Pastors got all this material to sift through about worship. And we talk about, you know, worship, which used to be when I was coming up, it was the song service on Sunday morning. Someone would get up and lead some songs. I was thinking of some of those songs today. Oh, say that I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say that I'm glad, you know, whatever. And then there was testimony service and some of our traditions on Sunday night, and we would sing songs, and that's where guys like me learned to play in all keys because people would just blurt out a song from the audience, and you did not have the luxury of pitching the song where you were comfortable playing. You just hoped they would put it in F or E flat or C or B flat and not B natural or A for us keyboard players. Worship. They're talking keys now. <laughs> I love them all now. <laughs> singing and music is often equated with worship. And let me say this to you, that yes, singing and music is important with regard to worship. For crying out loud, I'm a keyboard player, and I've been playing and ministering in worship music in the church for almost all of my life. I'm, I'm going to stop saying how many years, because it, it ages me. It is important, and it's a big part of, of, uh, of, of corporate worship. And there has been a wonderful uh, renewal that's taken place in the church as people have gotten more into taking their time, like you did this morning, because one of the things in the old way, it was more road, it was we sang, it was, it was maybe, you know, we sang it with glee and with enthusiasm, but we sang, you know, stanza, refrain, stanza, refrain, and we were done, whereas now we take the time, if the Spirit says, go back and sing it again, the Spirit says, sing without music, sing it in a different key, sing a different song, and you, these guys, I drive them crazy because I will th stick stuff in or throw stuff in at random, at will, but we were freed up from that rigidity so that we could experience the move of the Spirit. That's wonderful. But the problem is, listen to me carefully, that we tend, we, we have tended to reduce worship 
not only to the song service or to the music, but to the gathering, to the songs. We've reduced worship to the upraised hands. And I often remind people that the whole service is, is worship, isn't it? The singing is, I've heard people say, I'm just going to go for the worship, then I'm going to leave because I don't need all that preaching. But the singing is worship, and the giving is worship, and the reading of Scripture together publicly is worship, and the fellowship is worship, and it's all worship. Everything we do when we come together in this place, every moment of our experience together is worship. But even that falls short when we realize what Paul is saying here in this verse we just read, and what he's saying is this, our whole lives are worship. Our whole lives are worship. Notice what he says. He says, give your bodies to God. William Barclay writes this. He says, true worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, liturgy, however noble, nor a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Take your body, he writes. Take all the tasks that you have to do every day. Take the ordinary work of the shop, the factory, the office, the home, and offer that all as an act of worship to God. We were talking on Wednesday night. We've been having, we have a great time on Wednesday night. It's been a really good year for us. We've had a, a really solid, uh, steady, consistent attendance on Wednesdays, and we've been studying through First John very systematically. And we, and we were talking the other night about this idea of, of, of dualism and body-spirit dualism that sometimes creeps into our Christian thought, which is not a Christian or a biblical concept, but is, a, is basically Greek in origin, versus the Old Testament and the biblical understanding of reality, which is more holistic. Um, the body-spirit dualism would say that, you know, there's spirit and there's matter and God doesn't care as much about the matter and he cares about the spirit. And we separate out what we do with our body and what we do in our physical lives and what we do in the rest of our world from our worship or God, that kind of thing. We draw this sharp line of distinction as opposed to a more complete worldview, a biblical worldview that would, would suggest that life is not so divided but is this unified whole because what happens is this we are embodied spirits and what we do with our bodies is integral to who we are we even talked about we hit on the issue of gnosticism ancient uh, philosophical uh, thought form that that suggested that matter was evil and spirit is good and there that crept into the church beginning at the early first century, going into the second and third centuries. This idea that, that matter is evil and spirit is good. Again, a dualistic worldview. But a biblical worldview reminds us of this, that God made everything, didn't he? God made it all. He made it all, including you and me. He made our, he made our spirits, but he created our bodies. And you know what? When he made everything, he said this. He said, it is good. He said that over the created order. And so Jesus having come in the flesh, which we were talking about on Wednesday because we were talking about this is one of John's criteria for for the spirit of of truth versus the spirit of error, confessing that Jesus didn't just come. He didn't come as a spirit. He didn't come as an apparition. But he came as the Son of God in the flesh. Jesus having come in the flesh cosigns our humanity in a sense because Jesus took upon himself our humanity in order to fully identify with us and to fully embrace our embodied human experience. And so, yes, worship is 
in the words of Jesus, offered in spirit and in truth, as he told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But worship in spirit and in truth occurs in concrete, real-time ways, as well as in the more ethereal aspects of its expression. Because ultimately, what Jesus wanted the Samaritan woman to understand was this. It's not about the place, but it's about all places. So Paul exhorts his readers to express their gratitude for the grace and mercy of God, not through mere abstraction, not through some secret inner devotion, some liturgical expression, such as the singing of hymns or or contemporary worship songs. All of these things have an important place in worship, but they are part of a greater whole, which consists of our presenting our entire selves, our bodies, our lives, our stuff to God in worship, which the text says is truly the way to worship him. In Romans 12, we learn much from the entire context from what follows verse 1 because he begins with this basic concept of the presentation of ourselves, our bodies, as this kind of living sacrifice, as a true, authentic, and comprehensive way that we worship God. But there's some additional implications that come, come up. Look at verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn... To know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The heart of worship includes our allowing God's word to transform our minds. It involves us assuming a countercultural stance, if you will, as we are transformed mentally in our thinking. And this, this, this in turn puts us in a place where we are able to discern and to accomplish and walk out the will of God. That's all a part of this spiritual act of worship. Then in verse 3, he goes on. He says, because of the privilege and authority given me, and why did my, oh, there it is. Thank you. Uh, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you or given us. What he's saying here is that worship includes the appropriate humility that places our worship in the context of the body of Christ, where we lovingly and submissively find our place of service armed with this realistic appraisal of who we are. Then what follows in Romans chapter 12 is this series of exhortations where Paul calls upon his readers to live out their worship in loving, practical, sacrificial service to others. Because here, I want you to get this, and this is, if you don't get anything else, I hope you you grasp this concept. It's not just about the worship service, but about the service of worship. Let me say it again. It's not just about the worship service, but the service of worship. And so as we scan the next several verses, we find various exhortations like these. In verse 5, he reminds his readers to remember that we as Christians all belong to one another. That's a part of our worship, understanding our interconnectedness to each other. 
In verse 6, he reminds his readers that in his grace, God has given us all of these different gifts for doing certain things well. And he goes on to remind them that they are to use what they have to serve others and use those gifts gladly and fervently. In verse 9, he reminds them that they are not just to pretend to love others, but really love them. That they are to hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. He goes on to challenge his readers in chapter 12 to love each other with genuine affection. To take delight in honoring each other. To never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. To rejoice in our confident hope. To be patient in trouble and to keep on praying. When God's people are in need, we're supposed to be ready to help them. That's all a part of the life of worship. We're to be always eager to practice hospitality. And we're to bless those who persecute us and live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, he says. That's the life of a worshiper. That's a part of the heart of worship. He says, don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. Do not let evil conquer you, he says, but conquer evil by doing good. All of these things which extend out of the realm of personal devotion and personal, personal piety into the realm of social interaction with others other people beginning with other members of the body of Christ and spilling out into people at large all of these things are part of what it means to be a worshiper to present your whole body yourself to God that's the heart of worship giving your whole self your whole body worshiping God with all that you have if you believe that say amen And then finally, we can look back over into the Gospels to get another, to take another look at this whole thing of of, of the heart of worship. Because Jesus gives us these words in Mark 12, verses 29 through actually verses 30 and 31, which I have been referring to in the words of, of author Scott McKnight as the Jesus Creed. And I think we need to be more acquainted with this. And this needs to be more at the forefront of our consciousness. And Jesus says this when asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That really sounds like worship, doesn't it? That really sounds like worship. And we sang the song last week that says that what I don't like about that song and where it falls short is that it fails to, to give us the second part of that. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are inextricably intertwined together. They are linked. They are, they are inseparable. You love you worship and honor God, and then we love our neighbor as ourself. And then he, Jesus concludes the statement with this, there is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment greater than these. In other words, it doesn't get any deeper than that. It doesn't get any deeper than Romans 12.1. Give God your whole body. Worship God with everything you have. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. But can we say, Lord, I give you everything. And you say, well, if I give him my heart, my soul, isn't that everything? Well, you know what? It is manifest. Your everything is authenticated and proven by the fact that you give him your body. What you do on Monday through Saturday will reflect the degree to which you have given yourself, your heart, your soul, your mind to him on Sunday. And every morning when you get up and you say your prayers in the evening, when you bow on your knee before you go to bed, the way you walk it out and the way you live it, 
that's the heart of worship. Worship is a holistic process that includes everything that we are, everything that we have, and everything that we do. And so it's not merely the lifting of our hands, but the lifting of our lives. It's not merely the lifting of our hands, but it is the lifting of our lives, our entire selves and gratitude expressed through loving others as ourselves. Anything short of this is not biblical worship. This is the heart of worship. It's all about loving God with everything we have and loving others with all that we've got. What do you think about that? Ashley's going to come and sing a song and help to kind of put a rap on this. She thought I was going to be another 40 minutes. Just a second here.
You get it? Does that say it? That Thank you, Ashley. We are. So, it says living sacrifice. It's, you know, the Old Testament picture. Put the animal on the altar. You kill it. Offer it up to God. New Testament. Put you on the altar. But he doesn't kill you. Now, the problem with living sacrifice, you always hear preachers say this, is that they get up and run off the altar. And we do that. Living sacrifices, we, you and me, are an offering. And that's what worship is about. Anything that doesn't begin with that is not biblical, true worship. It will fall short. So we want to get back to the heart of worship. And even that song we sang earlier, in, in, in maintaining that it's all about you, Jesus, it is and it isn't. Do you know what I mean? I can't say it's all about Jesus to the exclusion of you, my brother, my sister, the body of Christ, the people that God has placed in my life. There is no privatistic, individualistic notion of Christianity like that in the New Testament. It's all about you, Jesus, and you call me to pour my life out for others, to realize that we, you and me, are an offering, all that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be. We give it to him. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, now you turn around and give it to me. And you give it back and share all that you are, all that you have, all that you hope to be with others in the world around you. That's the heart of worship. And we're done. Let's stand. We're going to pray. I want to do a couple things. First of all, I want to just, I want to provide this opportunity. If there's someone here today and You'd like to meet this man. We talk about Jesus, the Son of God. You hear, you come to church and you hear people talking about Jesus died on the cross for our sins and died to, to set us free from sin's power and sin's bondage. Maybe, maybe you don't, you're not sure today that you have that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with him, and you can. And it's not based upon you, your performance and you're doing a lot of good deeds and trying to outweigh your sins. It's based upon a decision you make and a choice you make by faith. And if that's you and you've never asked him into your heart this morning, I want you to slip up your hand where you are. I want to pray with you. Is there one this morning? I will say, Pastor, I, today I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't know. Is there one this morning in Jesus' name? And then secondly, I wonder who among us this morning would say, Pastor, pray for me today because I want to go deeper into, into the heart of, of what it means to be a worshiper. I, I want to... I hope this morning that what we would contend for is a more holistic and integrated faith that would draw into, into this one whole, all of the disparate components of our lives, the things that tend to be disjointed and disconnected. But Lord, we ask this morning that, that our devotion to you would not just be uh, an emotional response when we're in a worship service or will not just be a, a guilt response when we realize all the things that we're not doing or that we're doing wrong, but that, that what it would be would, that we would come to understand that we must give all of ourselves to you and, that, and allow you to work in our lives in such a way that your, the reality of who you are penetrates every aspect of our lives and our being. So we begin to realize that the way we treat those closest to us is a part of our worship. The way we deal with, with social concerns and issues in the world around us is a part of our worship. The way we, we deal with our work life, the way we deal with our vocation, the, day, the way we deal with, with, our, with, the, with handling our money, the way we deal with our relatives, 
relatives, the way everything, in every, in every pocket of life, is, there's the opportunity for us to display uh, our, our role as a worshiper. So, Lord, we ask you to help us with that. We ask you that worship would, for us, be more than just the, the, the time of singing on Sunday morning or more than just the church service, but that we would understand the service of worship. Lord, that we would live in such a way that our worship would, would enable people to see you in us. They would see our good works and glorify you. Give us the heart of a worshiper. Give us the heart to remember that we are an offering. So this morning, Father, I'd say with all of your people gathered here today, Lord, we, we present ourselves. We place our lives on the altar this morning. We yield ourselves to you. Just somebody, just, just, just reach your hands up to heaven and say, Lord, I give everything to you this morning. Lord, I am an offering. All that I have, all that I am, all that I hope to be, Lord, I give myself to you. Go on and praise him as you offer yourself to him in worship, as you give yourself to him in thanksgiving, as you yield your life to him. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. We bless you, oh God. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. And Lord, for those who are sick this morning, we ask your healing power flow through their bodies you're concerned about our bodies you've called upon us to worship you with our bodies to present our bodies to you as living sacrifices lord heal and strengthen our bodies in the name of jesus lord we thank you for that in jesus name in jesus name we bless your name we give you praise honor and glory jesus name i'm going to dismiss you with these words, if you were Anglican, you would be familiar with this prayer if you were Episcopalian. But I think it says well what we need to say as we conclude today. So would you, if you're so inclined, would you read it with me? Almighty God, Father of all mercies, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Remember, no Bible study this Wednesday. We'll see you next Sunday.